This is the Canucks Central Post Game Show. Miller back to Patterson. Hughes left wing with a shot. He scores! JT Miller tips it home at the side of the net. Miller gets it back to Hughes. Canucks in the zone. Hughes to Miller. Left circle through to the net. They score! Elias Peterson! They find the backdoor tip for the second time in the third period. First it was Hughes to Miller. Now it's Miller to Pedersen. And it's 6-4 Vancouver. With instant reaction from the players and coaches. This might as well be a six on three. As Nylander goes left circle. Marner through the seam to Matthews. One timer wrapped by Demko. Then he makes a huge save on your Yardroke on the rebound too. Have your say on the official home of the Canucks. Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Washbuckling game between the Canucks and the Leafs. Canucks come out with a 6-4 victory, 10 goals on the night, but they beat the Leafs at Rogers Arena on Saturday night. Hockey Day in Canada, and this is the Canucks Central Post Game Show presented by the number 5 Orange on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Satyar Shaw with Bick Nazar are going to bring in Brett Festerling in a moment. You can grab a phone line, 604-280-0650 or toll-free, 1-888-275-0650. You can also hit us up on our... Si- Dunbar Lumber text message inbox 650-650 and it was one of those games where the Canucks, a tale of multitude of games I would say, right? The Canucks a fantastic first period, bad second period, and then a professional third for the most part, found a way to win this hockey game, but a lot of back and forth tonight Brett. Yeah, you're right It was they had it all, and the first was amazing, I thought they were incredible in the first it was one Mm -hmm. of the better periods they put together in my opinion, and then Toronto push back. It's the handcuffs come off. Sometimes it's a lot easier to play when you're down two yeah. to three because there's nothing to lose. So and you see that Toronto starts freewheeling. Vancouver's probably a little reserved, and they get back in it. They have the that's their mo. They have the firepower to get back in, and then yeah, fantastic third taking advantage of the power play, which you know has been a I wouldn't say a concern in the last little bit, but hasn't been firing in all cylinders. So. They found a way. That's that's kind of the storyline. They're finding ways. It's great. You kind of put them through the whole run of emotions throughout the course of this game, right? You're fired up to begin it, and it's like, all right, it's a big one Saturday night, Hockey Night in Canada, and you come out firing, like, all right, this is great. And then, you know, in the back of the recesses of your mind, you're like, I wonder what it would look like if it went wrong. And it's like, there it is. And sure enough, like, in the key moments there in the third period power play, we talked about, okay, that lotto line needs to be better. And albeit on the power play, but they converted and helped flip the game because the bottom six really did their job. Like, that to me is the story. Like, we talk about edges that will translate to the playoffs. Right now, the way the bottom six is going, that's, like, such an advantage. And that third line, the Bluger, Garland, Joshua line, they they were big throughout the course of this evening. Yeah, they really were, right? And I think, you know, just in terms of five-on-five, they've been the constant. Like, we've been talking about the lotto line, and we were waiting for them to really get going, and they got going on the man advantage, which is great. Two goals and everything. But five-on-five, they've been the ones setting the tone, the third line. Yeah, I think even if you look at the second period, Toronto dominated for 18 minutes. Zadorov gets a big hit and then gets up, and it's the Bluger line, Joshua. They get the sustained pressure that flips that flips that kind of momentum and then Garland gets that that one coming out of the corner right they've been so big in those key moments that yeah yeah just flip that momentum back in your direction it's not always a goal it might be a hit or whatever but they've they've become up huge in those moments the uh, Zadora pairing or just that just that that line line in terms of changing momentum or coming up big when they need to that 
kind of puts them, elevates them over the other teams. There was, I don't know a lot of people are going to be, because there's so many moments of this, but like there's a lot of physicality through this game that I thought helped define you know, the, the 60 minutes as well. You know, Zadorov had a couple against Domi, like manhandled him in the third. Myers puts Yarncroc uh, in the bench. Obviously what happened at the end of the game. But, you know, the, we always look for the moments where can your play match the emotion as the tempo and, and pace of the game picks up. Second period notwithstanding, because obviously <laughs> it really struggled, but they, they, they matched it at least in the third, and that's like what, what spins it for him at the end. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, overall, though, like when I look at this game, there's so many things that we can talk about. The one thing that stood out to me was special teams, too. You know, they scored two goals on the power play, killed four penalties off as well on the PK. And this is one of the things we've been wondering about. Can the PK get to a point where it can fend off strong teams? And can the power play score some timely goals? have been a bit dormant the last little bit, and I thought that, that really swung the game in the Canucks' favor tonight. Yeah, and what I love about it, that I think translates to long-term success is that you've seen guys and pairs get identities in the penalty kill that aren't necessarily – because it used to be Miller, Petey, mm-hmm. Hughes, right, and then they're playing 29 minutes a game and they're blocking shots and all that stuff. But you found guys like Joshua, Beluger, those guys that have found identities in the penalty kill have had success, and it just keeps them more in the game, and it's their piece, and they're proud of it, and – that kind of builds on each other. So it lets a lot of line go and do their thing. But then, obviously, the depth that's come up huge also contributes to that special teams that we that exactly has success and they've and made a difference. Uh, I wanted to ask you, because we were talking yesterday, about, like, power play, face-off plays. Yeah. And literally the Pedersen one-timer and be like, all right, how do teams play that because it's so difficult? Marner blocks a shot off of it, ends up getting a goal later in that shift, but they get another power play later. Now suddenly the Canucks have all this access to the back post. Yeah. What did you notice on, on those two goals of how they were able to find the space to uh, to get there? Yeah, I mean, the first one's great because Hughes, Hughes wants to run it off that side. So their, their plays off that side are usually going to be that back door. But I don't think Miller's there. So Hughes actually puts it back to Petey, who goes down to Miller coming in. So then that just restarts. Mm-hmm. It's literally just a restart button of that play. They know what they're doing. And then if you see Miller, he's he's literally his heel to his toe just setting up that wall back door because it's too tight for your mm-hmm. for your stick and you're trying to do all this kind of find it. But Plus your, your feet would probably be a bit different as well. Yeah, exactly. So it worked perfect for them that way. And then it, and then a beautiful pass by Miller on the, on the second one where Petey just gets lost behind the net. And, yeah, great, great power play. Obviously those, those plays worked. And then that will be a progression of some. I'm sure they'll get scouted for that backdoor mm-hmm. play. Right. And then that will open – Maybe you go low and pop it on the short side or something like that. No, absolutely. Uh, how about Niels Hoaglander? First period. We talked about the Canucks' first period was fantastic. That fourth line was buzzing. And, you know, maybe, you know, petered off a little bit as the game went on. But they were a buzzsaw on that first. And Niels Hoaglander gets two quick goals. And the first one battles. The second one picks his spot. I mean, the kid is hot. 14 goals in the season, Brett. So hot. And his feet are moving. Yeah. The thing I love about Hoaglander is in the third period when, when – because what happened in the second is you saw guys' feet. They just kind of separated, right? And you don't see that, like, constant locomotive, like, Right. Hoaglander's always going. And he did that in the third, and he's just got so much energy. And then, yeah, you see the skill there. That shot was was incredible. And then they were they were on the ice with four minutes left. Yeah. Right? To put Oman, Lafferty, and Hoaglander out with four minutes left shows extreme trust in your depth. And this goes back to Kuzmenko thing and not trusting them. But 
That's how much trust he has in the fourth line, which is amazing. So that's good for them. Absolutely. I, I, Let's go outside okay. the Canucks locker room. We're joined by JT Miller. I got the game-winning goal on the power play. And, and JT, I mean, it's one of those things, tonight's game, back and forth, but the emotion's certainly high in the building tonight. Yeah, I mean, of course, that's something we expected to happen. Uh, you know, that first period was fantastic. We just played really well, got in behind them, you know, outskated them and got rewarded. And then, you know, I feel like we've seen it so many times this year when teams have, you know, multiple goal leads. It's very easy to sit back and let the other team just kind of have their way. And, you know, it's it's very it's harder than it looks to uh, to tote that line of, you know, being smart with the lead but not sitting back. What do you say to yourself in moments like that when it's 3-3, 4-4, you're like, all right, like we, we can clearly push ahead, but, it, you know, the, the, these – teams have, have, have crept back but trying to stay focused on the next play yeah I mean that's all I mean that's just you know repetitions right it's being there it's, it's um, experience and you know it's something I constantly am relying on you, you know you got to breathe in those moments and you want to uh, you know Rick talked about meeting pressure with pressure all year and those are the high pressure moments and you don't want to go away from those right you know you want to thrive in those moments and that just takes time and experience so I try to rely on that well, and, you know, you mentioned that, you know, meet pressure with pressure, something the coach talks about, and something you mentioned today was uh, he's not the one repeating himself. It's you guys on the bench. You guys are really you know, buying into the staples, buying into how to play team-wise. And is that something that just keeps on growing as the season goes on here with the group? I mean, of course. It's, it's, it's a team effort. It's a group effort. You know, Rick's been awesome in a sense of, you know, his door is always open. He, you know, he wants to talk about things, and he wants, you know, he relies on the leadership group and, and the guys in the room too. You know, he doesn't want to, you know, he he doesn't like hearing his voice all the time. You know what I mean. So it's it's uh, it's something that has worked for us so far. So it's definitely uh, something we, we want to keep preaching, and you know we have to execute the staples that he's come up with. Uh, three games in a row with power play goals for the uh, power play, and I think it's four and five here. Uh, really flowing right now. Uh, what's changed here for you guys? Um, we just you know I think for the most part it's a little sharper. You know we gave up the little the one there in the third, but I, I like the response. And um, the last couple of games we're mo we're just snapping the puck a little faster, a little more urgency. Uh, not quite as stagnant, um, funneling more to the net. Just kind of, I hate saying the word simplify because, you know, people just think just shoot everything. But there's <laughs> there's a science behind it, right? So I think if we're just playing with a little more urgency and, you know, we have to trust that, you know, that we have to bring the same work ethic on the power play as we do 5-on-5. Five five. Uh, before I let you go, JT, your PK tonight killed off everything you faced for the Leafs. It's been something that's been trending in the right direction. Uh, do you guys feel like that's coming together for the group? Yeah, it seems like ever since they split up me and Petey, they're, they're, they're taking <laughs> off, right? So it's, uh, I mean, the guys are just, it's great because, you know, it's getting guys more ice time and they're getting a lot of chemistry. Those top four, you know, four, five, six guys that are PK and are doing a hell of a job for us. And they're, you know, I don't know what we are in the last couple of months, but it seems to be at the top of the league. And um, we just have confidence, right? I mean, if you go years in a row with seeing the puck, you know, scraping it out of your net all night on the PK, it's, it's deflating. So, you know, it's a confident group right now, and everybody's got really good chemistry with each other. Uh, well, you mentioned there's more ice time for guys, but also a lot of contributions from Hoaglander and Garland and, and guys, you know, traditionally are, are not getting a ton of minutes. Uh, how big is that for you guys? Well, it's super important. I mean, that's how good teams win games. I mean, you can't rely on the same people all year. You need depth scoring. You need all lines to help out, and, and, and it's it's not always scoring. But, you know, that line has been bringing a lot of energy for us lately, and it's whether it's the Bluger line or the Suter line. I mean, it just seems like every night you're talking about another line, and that's a sign of a good hockey team. Uh, JT, thanks for your time. Congrats for being chosen by the fans to be in the NHL skill competition go get that million bucks all right i oh, appreciate it guys thanks <laughs> you got it that's jt miller joining us outside the canucks locker room after a 6-4 victory and you know he mentions the contributions we were talking about that right right before he joined us but you know it's a full team effort you know and you can talk about balances things going the canucks way but it's every single player dedicated to their role and they're getting some success going going along with it as well yeah well everybody feels pride yeah in the thing as a whole right it's not this guy's doing good or this guy's doing this, the team's doing good. And the more guys you can get 
that think like that, it just leads to success and it leads to guys feeding off each other. And I've always said the more success you have as a group, the more success you're going to have as an individual. The other way it doesn't go around. If the more success you have as an individual, it usually doesn't translate to a lot of team stuff. So if you get a team the way they're trending and want to be better as a team, they're all going to have more success as individuals. That's the thing, right? It's just the, the phrase that sticks out to me yesterday from, from Jim Rutherford's comments, and I know he joined with you guys uh, too, Sat, is he kept referencing when we had players and now we got a team. And you see it in the in, in a game like this where it's like you need contributions from everyone. And the tempo was so high throughout the course of this game. And, like, that's the thing that kind of stands out is, is the players fit together. Like, there's still things that can change and obviously uh, improvements that can and probably need to be made. But a, a lot more things fit together. And, like, the roles on the PK, as you were just mentioning, it's guys are taking ownership in roles that we previously seasons haven't seen. And, like, here's someone that's, you know, a star player joking with us, like, yeah, me and Petey got split up on the on the PK. Like, that's, that's like, a levity and a, and a confidence that you want in, in teammates as well. Yeah, 100%. No, absolutely. I mean, and, you know, it's you see the, the group, how they're playing and how they're taking after their head coach and the guys are spreading the message. And is that kind of the sign of the most successful teams when the people spreading the message, so to speak, are, are, are the players and not the coaches always harping on it? Yeah, well, how many times do you hear all the players? The players are tired of the coach's message and they're sick of that. Is when they can just set, um, you know, a direction, and then your top, let's call it six to eight guys, kind of funnel that down into the different groups, into the PK, into the PP, in, yeah. in the room. It's just, it's so much easier to to kind of absorb that message when it's coming from everybody, not just one coach barking at you, kind of thing. Just with this whole evening, too, of, like, these little details. Like, Sat, you and I were talking the first intermission. Like, the zone time on the yeah. Hoaglander goal, right? There's guys shifting in and out. and Beelining it to the bench to get to get their other guy on to sustain that pressure. And it's, it's stuff like that, I imagine, as, as uh, players, you're looking at it, It's like, all right, this guy's giving me a chance to, to, to go be excellent because he's trying to get off on very opportunistic uh, moments, too, of, like, puck is in the offensive zone. Yeah. But Don Hay, when we played junior, would – he would just replay guys' change. <laughs> like, that would all, that's all we would watch. Right, if we had yeah. a bad game, he'd be like, he'd time it. He'd have, like, a watch. And then we'd <laughs> fast forward to our 10-year Memorial Cup, like, anniversary party. He went up and he talked about our changes yes, right, and how right. fast we changed. But, you know, it's yeah. those details, exactly what you're talking about, that make a big difference and really kind of put a stamp on, on how a team plays in that identity, and they have it right now. Well, is is the good line – and this is funny because it's such a – it seems like such a minor detail, but when you talk to coaches, they always bring it up, and it's such a big thing. And they usually say the sign of a team that has complete buy-in and that doesn't have the selfishness from individuals are guys not trying to extend their shifts to get their own, and they're willing to help their teammates jump on the ice. And, you know, it, it's hard to get, and sometimes it's fleeting, right? It's hard to, hard to hold on to because at some point everyone's trying to get – there's, there's money on the line. There's careers on the line. But that's got to be the most challenging thing, to get guys to not be as selfish in a sport where it's about the team, but you're not going to get paid unless you do some great individual work too. Yeah, exactly. You're sacrificing yourself for the greater good. It's yeah. a, and you, I, you saw it in the third period kill. I forget who it was, Beluga. Somebody had an opportunity to go, and it was just like, no, we're being out here for 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to – gas myself mm -hmm. we're up to go i'm not gonna gas myself and then try to backtrack and then i'm stuck in a bad spot so he gets it down gets that change fresh guys every kind of 30 seconds and that leads to success
Yeah, certainly. Brett, great stuff, man, calling the game alongside Brendan Batchelor tonight, and a lot of fun when the, when the Leafs are in town, and even better when the Canucks win a 6-4 victory for the good guys. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Uh, great stuff. That's Brett Festerling. Uh, great stuff alongside Brendan Batchelor tonight. Keep getting your thoughts into our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650. You can also grab a phone line, 604-280-0650, or toll-free, 1-888-275-0650. And uh, uh, before we go to the phone boards, and we'll hear from Canucks players and the head coach coming up in a few minutes uh, in, in a a little bit, but fans are buzzing after this one here, Bick. 650, 650. Keep coming with your thoughts uh, throughout the course of the evening. Uh, yeah, there is uh, plenty happening in the inbox. A lot of uh, leaf suck texts coming in <laughs> to the Dunbar Lumber text. As message. you would expect. Inbox. Uh, all right. Uh, this one. Uh, unsigned. If talk doesn't show Kuzmenko, love this game. I don't know what this guy can do. He kept the Leafs in their zone, drew some penalties, no real defensive blips from Andre Kuzmenko. Uh, that's a text uh, unsigned coming in 650. Uh, this one, good bounce back game for Kuzmenko. A lot of love for Kuzmenko. Would have liked to see him on power play one. Uh, good call from Tockett, keeping him in. That's OP uh, from Fleetwood. So there's uh, some uh, Kuzmenko buzz coming into the inbox here. Yeah, I thought so too. Um, and this one here from Mike and Tawasson. Shout out to Tockett. Well-timed timeout. It's underrated. Yeah, the Leafs took a mm-hmm. took away the Canucks three-goal lead with three consecutive goals in the second. And afterwards, Tockett called a timeout. And after that, it took a little while. The Canucks kind of wrestled back control, took a 4-3 lead. The Leafs tied it momentarily in the third, but the Canucks pulled away on the man advantage. Keep your thoughts coming into our text inbox, 650-650. You can grab a phone line, 604-280-0650. Uh, let's go to the phone boards. Let's go to Aiden on the phone line in Nanaimo. What's going on, Aiden? What are your thoughts? Holy man, I am hyped up about that. That was the best first period I've seen the Canucks play. And I was watching the first period and just like absolutely on a roll. Like my uncle was texting me. He was like three zero, and um, it was three zero at the first. He's texting me through the the thing. He's like, "Oh, rock on, rock on!" And I'm like. I'm at work, right? And I'm looking back at the scoreboard, and it's 3-3, and I'm like, oh, here we go again. Like, they're leafing because, you know, Toronto sucks. And and then, like, literally, like, it was just fun. It was like 4-3, back and forth. I knew it was going to be a good game, and then as soon as Canucks scored that fifth goal, 5-4, I was like, oh, guess what? They leaked the leaf. And you know what? It was it was awesome. Uh, just a fantastic game by Thatcher Demko, too. Unreal. Just stopped, like, what, 45 out of 49 shots. Just made some fantastic saves tonight. And, man, I just can't I, – I can't express how happy I am for the Canucks to just come out of this season just looking so good, so ready. And a lot of people, a lot of fans are saying, yeah, maybe the playoffs aren't for the Canucks. Dude, they are a ready team. They are looking really good. Um, I just really hope it keeps up, which it will. And I'm excited for this playoff team. Right now, I'm thinking this is maybe looking like a cup-bound team. So I'm excited to see where this season goes for sure. All All right. right. I think that's it, boys. I've lost my voice now, so take care. You got it. Thank you. That's Aiden calling in, uh, hyped up on the Vancouver Canucks, even bringing up the cup word. Almost as excited as Francesco was yesterday talking about the team as well. So it's who knows? one of those things. Everyone's excited about the team. Who knows, honestly. And hashtag who knows should be the Honestly, thing. hashtag dare to dream. Honestly, <laughs> dare to dream. This is this Canucks season. Have the most points in the National Hockey League so far. Beat the Leafs 6-4. We'll continue our breakdown of this Canucks performance and more of your reaction on the text inbox and also on the phone boards as the Canucks Central Post Game Show rolls on. Presented by the number 5 Orange. 
a real Vancouver legend. They've got sports too. More coming up on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Catch up on what happened in Vancouver sports with Halford and Bruff in the morning. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is where you talk Canucks. You're listening to the Canucks Central Post Game Show on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Canucks hemming the Maple Leafs in their own zone as Max Domi tried to take some liberties with Hughes. Now Hirona gets it left point. Middle of the ice for Quinn Hughes. Long shot, left wing. Loose in the crease. And they score! Hoaglander on the rebound! What a start for the Canucks, and Niels Hoaglander gives them a 1-0 lead. 3-0-6 into the first with a backhand shoveled home in the slot. This is an amazing start. Three over three minutes of pure energy going back and forth. Toronto had a good start with three guys deep. Canucks send it down, and it just feeds off there. We got all four lines going energy, just grinding away. There's people standing up, giving a stand ovation to that grind. That leads to Hoaglander in front, battling back. Backhand, banging it home. Great start for the Canucks. Great start for this hockey game. What a goal to start things off. The first of two for Niels Hoaglander, and that is the play of the game brought to you by Delaney's OK Tire Langley, and it really epitomized an overall team effort, one of the best team shifts we've seen from this this squad so far this season. Tremendous first period by the Canucks, and it started off with that goal, and it was two different lines getting that going on over a minute of zone time in the Leafs' end, and we talked about it with Brett a little bit. The thing that stands out to me so much was how they sustained that pressure by getting off the ice quickly, guys rushing to get get back on, keeping the play alive, outworking the Leafs, and just tremendous work by Hoaglander as well. In front, winning his position, bat- batting the puck in. It was just a tremendous sign of, of the overall team effort, that opening goal bit. 100%. And Nils Oman digging pucks along the wall. Like, I thought he had a fantastic game. It's, it's, it's the point I wanted to make before we talked to JT. Like, he was just subtle things, keeping plays alive a couple of times, and, you know, he features on uh, a goal later as well. Mm. So, uh, just everyone con- contributing Lafferty, you know, getting a tip on a later goal as well. Uh, so it, it, it just, or sorry, on that goal, because uh, he tips it in front of the net and just everyone contributing, as you mentioned, the line changes. It's, it's exactly the type of goal, like Rick Tockett mentions, of like, do your work, get off, let someone else do theirs. And, you know, McCabe is the one that stands out because he has a short side chance, a wraparound chance, and he didn't waste any time. It's like, all right, puck's there, I'll get off. And it allowed Hoaglander the energy to get there for the loose puck. Yeah, and, you know, you mentioned Kuzmenko, and I thought Kuzmenko in the third had some really good shifts and, you know, drew a penalty, which led to one of the Canucks' goals and had a really active third period, really forced the issue and and forced the the Leafs into some awkward situations. If you want to get back on power play one, that's the type of shift you have to have to do. Precisely, but also, you know, the details the coach talks about, getting off quickly, you know, getting pucks in deep. If he does things like that, it won't take very long, I don't think, for him to regain some of the trust with the head coach, but it was good, good to see from Andre Kuzmenko, but Niels Hoaglander for the first of two goals, and that was your play of the game, brought to you by Delaney's OK Tire Langley. Drive through winter with confidence by switching to Toyo Tires, making tires for your road. Visit Delaney's OK Tire today on Fraser Highway in Langley. Uh, keep your thoughts coming into our text inbox, 650-650. And one player that is getting a lot of buzz is number 35, defenseman Thatcher Demko. Goalie. Uh, goalie. Goalie Thatcher Demko, defenseman. I was just thinking about Carson Soucy, which yeah. we'll get to talk about in, in a second. Oh. We'll get to Soucy in a second. But really, Thatcher. Staples. I know, no kidding, right? But uh, Thatcher Demko tonight. 
the first goal, I didn't love the Nylander one. Mm-hmm. The second one, it's a great pass by Marner. Uh, Garland falls asleep That's a little unbelie- bit. Like it, it's great okay pa- to it's okay to credit the other team it for is. making a good play. Sometimes. And and and, Mar- and Garland, for as good as he was, had one bad moment, and the moment was we kind of switched off, stopped moving his legs, and Jake McCabe beat him to that puck, the pass from Marner. I don't think he expected that pass to get through the way it did. Tips it in. Demko can't get his pad on it, but it's a cross seam pass. The third one goes off Carson Soucy. The Nylander shot down the wing. Hey, you you want to say the goalie maybe should be able to save some deflections? Sure. I don't I don't say it's a bad goal. Is it one that he maybe could have saved? I'm sure he says he would say the yeah. same thing. Sure. But in the third period, I know Marner scored. It's a breakaway. Sure, it's whatever. It's a, it's a Marner. It's a breakaway. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to say it's a bad goal. But he made a number of huge saves, especially on the PK, but also late in that game to ensure the Canucks won 6-4. The end of the day, uh, Thatcher Demko turns away uh, 42 shots for a win. Yeah. And there were moments like that Matthews line, and like they really torqued it up. And chances, but like in the first period too, like Bertuzzi has a chance right in front of the net. And Myers or uh, uh, Demko turns it away. Marner has a quick chance off of a, a redirect by Austin Matthews, and Demko's there on that one. So, like, yeah, there, there were moments where you kind of wince, and you're like, ah, oh, man, you wish you had that one back. Uh, but when called upon to get the W, uh, Thatcher Demko is also uh, there to uh, push the Canucks over the line. Almost Grant Fuhr-esque. Almost. <laughs> High-scoring game, just makes enough saves, but has a big third to ensure the Canucks win. Dan in Oakville, Ontario says, love how Demko kept grinding and battling, making huge saves in the third, even after giving up four goals. Others might have gotten rattled, but he just puts that past him to make the next saves. Hash, uh, he says, quote-unquote, goalie graveyard, no more. Dan in Oakville. Ontario, giving some love to Thatcher Demko. Uh, 650, 650. We had an earlier text. Uh, someone said they wanted to see here what the, the ice time was for all the lines. Uh, so this is per natural stat trick. Uh, I'm not going to do the whole, like, all 12 guys sure. strength time, uh, but just the guys together. Suter, uh, Kuzmenko, Mikheyev, 658. Bluger, Joshua, Garland, 818. Uh, Hoaglander, Lafferty, Oman, 628. And then the lotto line, 942. So just answer a text uh, coming in of, of how it was stacked. So, you know, kind of what you'd expect there. Yeah. And, and certainly, like, the Oman lafferty Hoglander line uh, earned plenty of uh, opportunities because they were buzzing the whole evening. No, they certainly were. And uh, I think the the power, the special teams time in the third, I thought really ate into, sure. uh, you know, Lafferty and Hoglander's ice time specifically. Um, so I think that's why their ice time was maybe not as high as you would have perhaps wanted. Uh, the defense was a bit in flux in the third period, and there's a good reason for it. Carson Soucy left the game, did not return in the third. Uh, we were thinking about what led to his uh, absence, Clearly must be some sort of an injury, some sort of mm-hmm. something happened. Can't pinpoint exactly what occurred for him to leave. We know he had an upper, lower body injury, which kept him out, you know, six to eight weeks. He did finally return. I think he's been on a bit of a minutes restriction. Like, he hasn't played a ton of minutes since coming back. I wonder if either easing him in. Could it be a reoccurrence of a previous in- injury? Was it something else that happened? But certainly something we're really keeping a close eye on until the head coach comes in. Because Susie, I thought, was good in the first 40 minutes. Not having him uh, in the third certainly didn't ho- hold the Canucks back but something to keep an eye on here. Yeah, and his first game back, he played 20 minutes, and then he had another 20-minute game uh, against Pittsburgh, and then a 21 versus Columbus, but that one goes to OT. Um, but, it, you know, he's he's played as low as 15. He's played uh, 17, 50 as well since coming back. So 
uh, someone to keep an eye on. But, yeah, we'll certainly have to wait to uh, hear from uh, head coach Rick Tockett. Yeah, hopefully nothing uh, too long-term with him. But the Canucks do have Noah Juleson He's waiting as a seventh so defenseman. Good, yeah. and, but uh, Carson Susi clearly has a second level, next level uh, <laughs> ability to him. And I, I know he was on the ice. Uh, Myers and Susi were on the ice for, what, three goals against, right? Uh, it was Myers and Zadora for the first one. And then Myers and Susi for the next two. The next two, right? Uh, one goes off. Susi, I know people are mentioning Myers yeah. was on the ice. C- could you really fault Myers for any of the goals against? You know what? Sorry, I, I misspoke. It was Myers and Susie for all three. All three, yeah. yeah. So, like, but can you think of one of those plays Myers misplayed? Like, I, he's a minus three on the evening. I don't think that's fair to his performance. Yeah, uh, I, I don't think it's indicative. I actually thought, you know, before Nylander scored the first goal in the second period to make it 3-1, there were two sequences uh, before that happened. One was an Austin Matthews coming downhill, and he had to defend him one-on-one. He got a stick on his shot, didn't let him get it through. And then the same play happened, like, a sequence afterwards. It was Willie Nylander doing the same thing, took the puck away from him. So I actually thought right before that goal was scored, there were two one-on-one situations against two of the best players of the Leafs. He defended really well. And we know how physical he was at the end of the game. So I, don't, I oh, think throughout that, the course of the game, right? Fant- like the, oh, yeah, the, absolutely. The uh, tree trunks uh, of, of the uh, Which leaf did he throw into Canucks? the Canucks bench? Yarncroc. Yarncroc. Threw yeah. him into the bench. He was he was going out for Riley and Tavares at the end of the game where he got a penalty for that as well. But a real physical presence, and I think the dash three was unkind to him because I thought he was far better than that indicates. Yeah, and you know, I I think the the, the Canucks defense uh, did a pretty good job tonight. Obviously, Hughes and Hronick kind of do what they do in the offensive zone. Um, it, it, it's it, the dashes look worse than they actually are. I agree with that. I agree with that. Uh, this text here says the door off Cole setting in nicely. I think Cole's looking more comfortable on the right. Makes sense. He had to adjust a little bit, uh, having played the left side for much of the season. All right, keep your thoughts coming into our text inbox, 650-650. We'll take more of your text messages as the show goes on here, but let's go to the phone boards. and 604-280-0650 or toll-free, 1-888-275-0650. And let's go to Kelowna, where we have Colin on the line. Colin, thanks so calling in. Uh, what are your thoughts after the Canucks 6-4 win over the Leafs? Oh, it was a great hockey game. Both ways, both teams played well. I appreciate that. Um, I just had a note because I, you know, following and watching along and everybody's saying that they want to add to this team, you know, by the deadline. And I'm wondering if you uh, even mess with the, uh, you mess, you know, mess with the culture of the team. It's, it's going pretty good. However, one thing that irked me, and I'm going to go back a few years because I've been a Canuck fan for a long time, is we had this guy in the minors, Reed Boucher, for years. And he was pulled up a few times, and he had better analytical numbers than over half of our team when he came up, but they kept putting him down. It was like a political thing that they didn't keep him up. And now we got another young guy who's going to the All-Star game in our Steve Baines. And I've been watching and following Abbotsford specifically and watching this guy. And I can say if we can find somebody to come up and not have to mess with our futures rather than add outside the box in the trade deadline. I say we give this guy a chance to play a few games. Anything that I've seen him come up in the last year, he's always played well. He's always done well. He's sometimes been on a rough line with rough teammates, even in the preseason. But Baines has always uh, held his own. And uh, I think I'd like them to uh, give him a shot before they go out and spend any of our assets and our, and our money adding to it. And uh, as well, it, yeah. Uh, one more point: Myers has played extremely well in the last twenty games. From what I've watched, Horonic has twice the amount of giveaways in the last twenty games. Although Horonic's, you know, fantastic player and uh, way better offensively, 
Myers is a scapegoat, and I think we should leave him alone and say, hey, bud, thanks, because he's, he's earned his wages this year. Anyways, that's it. Hey, thanks for the phone call. That's Colin and Kelowna. Give some love to R. Steve Baines, saying the team should give him a shot before really messing with things at the trade deadline. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets a taste. The only thing is, he's never played an NHL game. That's not mm-hmm. to say he may not show up and play well, but it's like... Asking this is him, go time. This is not like, hey, let's, let's just see. give some guys some chances. No, time. and I'm fine with giving him a chance, yeah. giving him some run. But it's, it's there's a difference between hey, maybe he comes up and maybe he can play on your third or fourth line or your fourth line to yeah. get his feet wet. And there's another thing of like being in and playing your top six and being a big time contributor and a difference maker. It's it's asking a bit too much. It's like take some baby steps to get there. Um, I think with Archie Baines, they're very high on him in the organization. I'm excited, like, and, it, and it's, they're very yeah. happy with his development. I I, I think this is going to be nothing like the Reed Boucher. By the way, the Reed Boucher reference was not something I was expecting here tonight. But I, I think there is nothing similar at all in terms of how they handle that and everything with that player, whether he deserved it or not. I don't want to get into the Reed Boucher discussion. Yeah. But as far as R.C. Baines is concerned, I, I think there's nothing similar to him and Boucher in that regard. It simply comes down to they want him to keep developing. And if he comes up, it's more about let's see what he can do giving getting a taste as opposed to like he's going to be a top six player. Because what the team needs, what the team is looking for, and maybe needs is a strong word considering mm-hmm. the lead the entire National Hockey League. But clearly what they're after is a top six forward. And asking anybody to come up from Abbotsford to be a top six contrib- contributor down the stretch into the postseason is simply asking too much in my estimation. You, you want to know why you, you, you risk breaking up chemistry? There's two plays. And look, I want to be very clear. Like I think P.U. Suter's awesome. And if you get him back into a fourth line role, like that's a fantastic outcome. But there were two plays where Suter had the puck in prime areas, misses the net, and doesn't capitalize. And you just think, if you have another bona fide top six guy in that spot, are those goals. Yeah. And on a night like tonight, where, okay, the lotto line was having their issues up against Matthews and the ice was getting tilted, you need you need another line. You need another line to, to stem the tide and start flipping the game in your favor. Or, if you go get a top six forward, can JT go on another line and you break up the lotto line? Like, you, you need one more person to be able to flip the game in your favor. You can't just keep saying it's got to be on Joshua, yeah. Luger, and Garland. You need another top six guy in this unit to get more out of Mikheyev. Because Manko, again, flash tonight. Again, you see it's like there's something there, but it's it's like you have to be consistent with it. You get one more top six forward, it, it, it helps you on a night like tonight. No, I think it certainly does. And I think if that's something you can get. Because right now, I mean, five on five, the lotto line tonight really didn't impact the yeah. game. and come playoff time. Yeah, they're gonna have a game where they don't have it. What's and I mean, and it's What's asking your counter. And hey, the Bluger, Garland, uh, Joshua line's been fantastic. Yeah. How much can you keep asking of them? And hey, maybe it is the world because they're providing that for you right now. But you want to win a Stanley Cup, you need to have depth. Injuries will hit. You need to have layers of it. You know, guys go cold again. The Canucks have been on a hot streak, so you need to have more layers of and, offense and also higher, you know, level of play. And other teams are gonna load up too. So the, the idea that it's like, well, we played this team in November. We're better than them come April. Well, they're going to change their team a bit. Like Teams are going to improve and load up. Yeah. So you have to be ready to contend against that. It's not always going to look like you know Garland, Bluger, and Joshua against third lines that are oh, just makeshift. It's going to be manicured third lines by that stage. Absolutely. And, you know, the question is, who are the Canucks going to go after? Uh, Elliot Friedman uh, today during intermissions on Hockey Night in Canada, Hockey Day in Canada, we should add, uh, mentioned the Canucks are after a top six forward, something Jim Rutherford himself told us um, when he joined Canucks Central yesterday. And if you missed that interview, make sure to check it out. Has some interesting comments on Pedersen, but also on the trade deadline, saying they're looking to add a top six player, and they understand the cost could be a first-round pick. They understand to get a good player, you may have to trade 
prospects as well. They don't want to trade prospects that are not pro. That's Lakaramaki, Willander, Brustevich, those types of players. You would imagine they don't want to trade, but other prospects are open to it. So it's clear they're searching for a top six player. And Elliot mentioned two names to keep an eye on, and you heard them before, Jake Gensel and Elias Lindholm. But he mentioned there are two to three other players whose names are not out there that the Vancouver Canucks may also be looking at forward-wise. So uh, they are very much on the search to keep adding to this forward group is the right move, right? Which is the right move. A, it's just reward the guys. Yeah. Uh, but there, there is a hole there. And it would uh, do a lot to bolster this team in a yeah, big way. Certainly would. It would get, get fans even more fired up as well. Uh, Mike, the urologist, does not uh, agree, agree with uh, Colin, though, about Reed Boucher saying he could absolutely not play in the NHL. But also this one says, yeah. I do agree with Colin from Kelowna. He was right about Myers. He earned his wage. He has been a scapegoat here. I think some of the some of the criticism has been well earned over the years, but I do think a lot of it has also been. This is the um, best season for Tyler Myers. For sure, he sees some good moments from yeah. him. I, th- I do think at times he was. Um, I think people were overly critical of him at times. I thought last year he really struggled. I thought last mm-hmm. year was the worst year as a Canuck. This year has been the best stretch as a Canuck. He struggled for the first what was it ten eleven games, and since then the past thirty he's been really good. And tonight, my point the other night was like the the low at times for Tyler Myers can be the reason why you lose a game. But you're right. Like, he's provided highs, of course, and tonight was a high. During the regular season, he can be physical, but you don't see him truck guys all the time. Mm-hmm. Tonight he was tossing guys left and right. The it's closest, always a Leaf game. Well, it, it is. Oh yeah, Leaf game, Oilers game. When he took out Duncan Keith a couple of years yeah. ago as well. We know he can bring the physicality uh, against the Toronto Maple Leafs and and the Edmonton Oilers, and we saw in the postseason during the bubble year and. You know, as others texted in and mentioned, when he was with the Jets, he was also physical in the postseason. So a bit of a taste of what he could perhaps do in the postseason. You saw that tonight against the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, in the inbox here, uh, Jason and Algrove, great to see Demko rebound after a shaky second. Kept battling. That's the thing you want to see come playoff time. Uh, also, again, just to provide the, uh, the full scale of uh, Demko comments, uh, this evening, 650, 650. Let's be honest. Stop favoring Demko. His second was horrible. How many rebounds did he give up? Two goals that could have been saved, but his third uh, was great. But there is a, a lot of Demko criticism coming in uh, this evening. For everyone worried about Demko, he sure bailed us out in the eight, final eight minutes while hemmed in our own zone. Bandwagon is full. It's Richard listening at work in Vancouver. Love it. Love it. And I mean, listen, uh, you can criticize Demko's performance. I just said, I'm mentioning the two goals mm-hmm. outside of the first one, which I didn't like. And it's fair. I don't think it was his cleanest game. Absolutely. Like, I don't think it was his cleanest game. But in the third, especially the last 10 minutes of that game on the PK, he really stood on his head. I mean, a number of really, really big saves to help this Canucks team out. Uh, 650-650, keep your thoughts coming in uh, to our Dunbar Lumber text inbox. Zadorov is also a player that's getting a lot of uh, love here on the inbox. I thought not only was he physical, which he's shown the last little bit here, really uh, forced the issue with his puck rushing tonight. There was a few times where he really evaded pressure. Uh, maybe held on to the puck too long, pushing mm-hmm. the puck up ice a few times. But he was a lot more, I'd say, expansive in, in how he played tonight. And maybe that's a bit of a sign of him getting a bit more comfortable in his role here too, Bic. Well, the big one was right before the Garland goal uh, that made it 4-3. First of all, he has a clearance on the PK as well. Uh, but then he goes for a skate, gets it to Ronick, who does that you know, shot pass, gets it through to Suter, who's trying to redirect with maybe their best chance of that second period, to be honest, uh, at 5-on-5. Five five. And you know that, that helped kind of flip the territorial advantage. And eventually, you know, Garland gets that goal because it's the zone time that leads to the change where Hughes gets on. And uh, they, they're able to uh, get that goal and go 4-3 into the final 
uh, period, which we know they've been so good with the leads. But, yeah, it's Adorov. You know the the size plays. There's moments where yeah, it looks like guys have to go around on the PK, and it just takes a little longer. And uh, you know the play he made on Domi at the blue line. Oh, it's fantastic! You, you want to protect the blue line, you want to make it difficult, and he just engages and just chucks Domi down to the ice. It just looked so easy. Yeah, for him. way too easy. Now I I think it's his uh, tenure as a Canuck has been a bit uneven. Mm-hmm. I think he's had some struggles. I mean, as you would expect, you know, getting used to playing on the team, but uh, I really liked his performance the last couple of games and I thought tonight uh, that physical presence, but also him, you know, getting the Canucks out of, out of some tough spots with his push, puck rushing ability. It's nice to see them have a couple guys that can do that outside their top pair. You know, the phrase we use often is like inject your personality into the game. You know, from time to time, Nikita Zadorov had to show those physical traits. Yeah. And I don't just mean, like, put a guy through the glass. You have the ability to, to skate with the puck. Mm-hmm. You, the reach is so good because you can just keep the puck away from guys. He protects it, you know, good. And w- w- when he's going for those skates, you've got to find the moments where you can be safe with it. But every once in a while, you have to remind Canucks fans that, like, yeah, okay, there, there's going to be the odd mistake, but... I can do all these other things too. Yeah, and you know, with the fight the last game, and and then tonight, uh, it, it's been encouraging for him. I still don't know what that means. Like, oh, I'm ready to you know, lock him up and and keep him here for turn for for years. But uh, you know, strong game from the kid as uh, as a draw tonight. Absolutely. Uh, this text from Gurdeep and Prince George. I don't think we read this one. No. He says, "Hello guys, what a game!" And I mean, what a game! These Canucks are for real, and they're built for a long playoff run, guys. To put more salt in the Canucks versus Leafs games, where the Leafs media has the best of the Canucks fans and media. Kevin Bieksa said it uh, all that even though the Leafs aren't as good as the Canucks, but they are generating a good rivalry. What a game by Zadorov and Myers! Just horses out there. Kuzmenko played his best game of the season as well. Keep it up. That's Gurdeep and Prince George giving a number of people love, including Zadorov and Myers. And Myers, well, you know, as the tide turns for the team, so is the tide turning in favor of Tyler Myers. Uh, people texting in and giving him a lot of love here. This one says, the last time we were in the playoffs, Myers got hurt and we really missed him. Uh, that was when we had no deep partner and he played too many minutes. Now he's placed in the right position in the game. We need to keep him for this run and risk and not less and risk letting him walk. Try to re-sign him even. You're getting re-signing uh, Tyler Myers takes to the text inbox, something you weren't getting much of the past few years, Bick. Uh, certainly not. Uh, I, I think, you know, he, he's, he's playing, like, top four minutes right now. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's good minutes, like 19 minutes a night, uh, but he's definitely um, – I, I think he's playing more than people realize. I think people think, like, oh, the, the, the Ian Cole pairing is, is the second line. And Ian Cole does have 19-12 a night, but it's, it's definitely, like, Myers and Zadorov that ends up getting more minutes. Yeah. And, and Myers and Susie um, when, when they've been paired together. So we'll see what happens if Susie's out and Juleson comes back in. Is it Zadorov and Myers? But they've been playing like more than Cole and, and Juleson were. Yeah, no, I know. And, you know, um, people wondering, Pardeep, others asking about Carson Susie. He didn't play in the third. We are awaiting thoughts of the head coach, and when we get that, we will let you know, and we'll get to more of your reaction. Keep getting your thoughts into our Dunbar Lumber Text inbox, 650-650. You can grab a phone line, 604-280-0650, or toll-free, 1-888-275-0650, after a 6-4 Canucks victory over the Toronto Maple Leafs. And you are listening to the Canucks Central Post Game Show, presented by the number 5 Orange. So the game is over, but is your night really done? The number 5 is open. More coming up on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Big opinions and good bets. It's the People's Show with Bick Nazar. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Canucks Central Postgame Show. 
Join the discussion on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Joshua after Brody on the forecheck, laid a big hit, comes loose to Garland. Hanks it back left point for Ian Cole. Now to the right side for Quinn Hughes. Darts away from Nice out of the high slot. Long shot tipped on net in the slot. I think it was Garland that got a piece of it. And Martin Jones made the save. Now Garland out of the left corner. Tries a shot. Gets a rebound. He scores! No quit from Connor Garland on that shift. And he gives the Canucks the lead with his second of the hockey game. One minute left in the second period. It's Vancouver four and Toronto three. And that goal was all Connor Garland. Connor Garland coming out of the corner. You're right. He stays with it, battles through checks, and it ends up going high glove on Jones. Connor Garland, two goals on the evening. What a performance. Canucks win 6-4 over the Toronto Maple Leafs. And this is the Canucks Central Post Game Show presented by the number 5 Orange, Satyar Shaw with Bick Nazar on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Keep getting your thoughts into our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650. You can also grab a phone line, 604-280-0650 or toll-free, 1-888-275-0650. The Canucks, well, they got off to a three-goal lead in the first period. Hoaglander with two to start off. Garland scored. Lafferty and Hughes had the assist on the first one. Oman and Garland uh, had the assist on Hoaglander's second goal. Then Beluger and D- Dakota Joshua helped out Connor Garland to make a 3 0. And Nylander, McCabe, and Nylander scored. And Connor Garland scored again in the second period to make it 4 3. Then Mitch Martin made a 4 4 shorthanded. And we, we didn't talk about that. A bit of a misplay. Maybe uh, you mentioned the Pedersen pass, maybe a, a borderline hospital pass to Besser mm-hmm. as on the trying to do the zone entry through neutral zone. If it wasn't Marner looking for the puck, maybe someone put the shoulder right through Brock Besser. Potentially. And Besser just misses the puck. Like he missed, yeah. you know, it just bobbles off his stick and Marner goes the other way. Brock's had a couple of the last few games like he that. He has, yeah. Um, and that made it 4 4. And then JT Miller has a shot from Quinn Hughes or a shot pass. Quinn Hughes go off his skate, uh, which was the eventual game-winning goal. Pedersen gets an assist, and also Pedersen getting a goal on the man advantage as well from JT and Hughes, and that made it 6-4. And another stat in this incredible Canucks season, JT Miller, and this is courtesy of SN Stats, JT Miller and Elias Pedersen, the fastest Canucks duo in history to hit 60 points. They did it in 46 games. The previous duo was Henrik and Daniel Sedin in 48 games. So it just shows you how prolific wow. JT Miller and Elias Pettersson have been, especially on the man advantage here tonight, Bick. Yeah, 63 points now for JT Miller. He is 14 back in Nathan McKinnon. Uh, but, you know, sitting there at fourth, Elias Pettersson sitting there tied for fifth at 61. It's uh, pretty incredible and that's why they're uh, all competing in the skills comp too. Yeah, and we'll talk about that coming up in a bit. We mentioned the thought of the Canucks head coach, Rick Tockett. Carson Soucy left the game in the third, did not return, but they won 6-4 and here's Rick Tockett on the game tonight. Yeah, great first. I mean, as good as you can get. Uh, second, we weren't connected. The Leafs are a good team. They started coming at us and I thought we were spread out. Um, we're chasing the puck a little bit and then uh, third period, obviously the power play was big. Um, I thought a key moment after Marner made that, uh, you know, great shorthanded goal. Um, I liked the, the I liked the calmness of Millsy. They said, "Okay, we got it, we got it," and they got it. So uh, there wasn't a lot of panic. So I give them a lot of credit for not getting, you know, pissed off um, and then getting frustrated. The two power play goals tonight. You've got four in the last three games now. I think you know you've talked about it being a process, but are you seeing 
what you're liking now as the results come through for the man advantage? Well, if you look, we attacked the net. I mean, we got two goals by attacking. I mean, we got it. When our power play is good, we attack. When we don't, we look for plays and all the pretty stuff. Then we, we're not so good. So I, I like the attack mentality. Uh, hopefully we can build off this attack um, and get pucks in the net. What did you like about the way your team came out in this game? Obviously, a lot of energy in the building, but what was it that your team did on the ice that you liked in the first? I mean, everything was I mean, I didn't really want to change a thing. Um, our forecheck was good. I mean, we didn't give much. It was just we had them on their heels and then flipped in the second. We were on our heels, and then, you know, third was obviously a lot of specialty teams. We're seeing the Teddy Bluger line or whatever you want to call yeah. it. We always talk about the possession <clears throat> and how much they're doing in the offensive zone, spending time there, but what's something that – Maybe we aren't talking about with that line that you're really liking. Well, I mean, listen, um, that line's, you know, the last two months is, I mean, they've, they've won us some games. Um, they, they're, they're, they're a line that's connected a lot. Um, I, you know, I, I hate to say it, but they're a system line. They, they're in spots that we want them to be in, and they're, and they're getting rewarded. I mean, Connor Garland's, you know, um, I mean, he was terrific tonight again. I mean, he's, he's, had, he's had a hell of a year for us. Um, really proud of that guy, you know, from the start of the year. Um, but he's done, he's done a great job. The Hoaglander line and yeah. a lot of puck retrieval and, and work on, on both goals. I'm impressed are you by what they did. Yeah. I mean, Hoggy, uh, you know, I, I've liked Hoggy's game. You know, I'm trying to get him out. I mean, there's, there's so much specialty teams. I think they still played 11 minutes. If there wasn't any specialty teams, they'd probably play it. Probably their high. I, mean, I would have had them out there all the time. I, I, uh, I thought they were great. Um, Hoggy was like, I mean, that second goal, what a shot. So um, he spent a lot of time, Hoggy, in the video room. Um, and, he's, and he's working at practice a lot. And you can see it's paying off for him. Uh, that, that's what I love. That uh, He's getting rewarded for his hard work. Demko said he didn't like the first goal he gave up. But talk a bit about maybe how he bounced back in the latter half of the third when you guys really needed him. Yeah, he, he, yeah. <clears throat> I mean, Demmer, I mean, he just wins. I mean, he just, I love him. He battles, you know, whether it's, I don't even, I, I got to look at the goal, whether it's his, I, you know, if he says it, he, you know, he thinks he, sh he should have them all, that guy. But, yeah, he's a, he's a battler. He just wins. Rick, you've mentioned that it's only going to get more intense, and we've yeah. seen that in the last few games. But I wonder how impressed you are with the evolution of this group in terms of their mindset, their maturity, and the way that they seem to be, getting hungrier and hungrier as they find different ways to win. Yeah, it's an emotional It's going to get even more emotional, and I, I like the emotion. I thought Zadorov was probably one of his best games. I mean, he he was, a, you know, a menace out there. Um, you know, Mizey, you know, Mizey too. I thought Mizey played really well. I, I like the emotion on these guys. Um, and you're going to have the ebbs and flows of a game, but, you, you, you know, you got to keep your, obviously, emotion in check sometimes. But I, I thought those two big guys really set the tone for us. You... Uh didn't see a lot from the lotto line through two, but in the third, they get two power play chances. They get two goals. Is that big game players just producing? Yeah, it's big. I thought they struggled a little bit. Uh, I don't think they were connected tonight. Um, you know, I, I told them after the second, they were too spread out. I didn't think they were skating. Um, I didn't think Bess and Petey were skating the first couple of periods, but what's big, what big players do, though, they seize the moment. You know, Petey comes up big in the third for us, you know. Um, but they got to get used to it because it's going to get harder and harder. So we got to make sure we stay connected. Um, but the, like I said, I love the power play. It was really good. Won us the game. Uh, Ian Cole said uh, the, one of the great things about Demko is that no matter what he lets in, you know that he's going to get the next one. And when, yeah. when they need him, he's going to be there. And he thought about it and he said, our team is kind of like that as well. 
do you know what he's meaning about? Yeah, I do. Um, you know, past history, I look at certain, like, I, I'm not comparing it, but I remember Grant Fuhr, you know, he let four goals in, but he would never let the fifth goal in. Like, in, in a game that maybe he didn't have, a, you know, whatever. He wasn't on his game, whatever. I'm not saying Denver wasn't on his game, but I just love his resolve, you know. Uh, they weren't going to get a fifth goal because he was dialed in. I think that's, and I think the same thing with our team. You know, we might have a bad period or we might have a bad stretch, but somehow we can hang in there, um, and that's resiliency. And you you grinded out a two-one win. Now you win yeah. in a high event game. You wouldn't like that you blew the three nothing lead, <clears throat> but. Does it say something about your team that you you're able to win in these different ways? Different. Yeah, games? I mean sometimes you crumble, right? Three, you know, they're coming at us, and then the, 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 the shorthanded goal, you know, that's where you know maybe in the past the frustration comes in, and then the next line tries to do something they shouldn't do. Um, I thought I, I can't remember after the, the power play. I think another whatever line went out. I think they settled it down. I think I, I'm not quite sure, but as a coach, that's what I see. I don't see a lot of guys freaking out as much as like last year uh, in pressure situation. But we, you know, we're still learning. I mean, we still got a long way to go here. What's the learning lesson you take away from the second period and sort of how it kind of fell apart briefly, but then you, you battle back. Well, we, for me, Canuck hockey, we got, we, we got to be a predictable team. I, I think sometimes when we, we want to regroup it and take it back and all that, that's when we get in trouble. That's what we did last year. That's the last year's team. And it took a while to get that out of us. So every once in a while we get back to the old habits of taking it back, and I just like us being predictable. When we're predictable, we're a tough team to play against. So that's kind of the lesson, stay predictable. Was that the message when you took the timeout? Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to calm it down, you know, um, and then obviously after the second. But even during the second, guys were pretty calm um, after we talked about, you know, some technical stuff too. That is Canucks head coach Rick Tockett after a 6-4 victory. A good first set period, he mentioned, spread out in the second, but obviously mentioned the third, a lot of penalties, but like their calmness, and uh, they didn't get frustrated. I mentioned how when the 4-4 uh, four, four goal happened from Marner, Millsy said, we got this, boys. The guys on the bench were calm and mm-hmm. cool and collected and, and were able to maintain their composure and take, uh, the lead again and end up winning the game 6-4. So he was really happy with how the guys didn't freak out in pressure situations and liked how they handled it here, it, it here, here tonight. Yeah, like JT said with us too earlier, just you know those moments like they've gone through this so many yeah. times and you have to learn from those experiences. At 3-3, you know, there's a timeout that people have complimented Rick Tockett on. There's 4-4, especially on the power play, you're giving up a shorthanded goal. You just have to stay focused on, yeah. on what the next thing is and uh, there's some leadership there and we saw it earlier too, like I know people are talking about the, the the Quinn at the bench thing. Like I'm okay with that. Like yeah. it's okay to show some emotion, but you have to channel it then correctly. It's okay to go through it. I mean, you can't do it every game. But then, what does Quinn Hughes do thereafter? Right? Like he he gets two assists there in the third period. So he certainly uh, played his role. Uh, to help uh, flip the game. Yeah, he certainly did. And uh, the coach was also very complimentary uh, of the Canucks' power play. They were good at attacking to put shots on goal. And he mentioned they're not very good when they're trying to be pretty, but when they're getting pucks on net, they can be very effective. And they certainly were tonight, scoring two goals in a man advantage. And uh, gave a lot of love to Niels Hoaglander. Said he was great and uh, said the work comes from doing a lot behind the scenes. Spends a lot of time in the video room and works very hard in practice. And uh, mentioned how proud he is of the work that Niels Hoaglander has been doing so far and this Connor season. And Connor Garland as well. Yeah, well, of course. Uh, I mean, he's yeah. been he's been uh, talking about Garland for weeks now, for good reason, who was tremendous here tonight. However, uh, we did not get an update on Carson Soucy, uh, so we'll await 
further news as time goes on here. Uh, Bick and I have a couple text messages sent out to see if we can get something here for you, but we'll see if we don't get word from the Canucks officially tonight. Uh, we will find out very soon. But no update post game from the coach on the status of Carson Soucy. Uh, keep your thoughts coming into our text inbox, 650-650, uh, Dunbar Lumber. Uh, this one here says, during the Jim Rutherford press conference, he said, sometimes Patrick and I talk about wild things. I wonder as part of the conversation, he has the color orange and a number five, you know, Rasmus Ristolainen, number 55, right-handed defenseman. <laughs> nice work. The yeah. jokes for 60. Jokes for 60. Yeah, Brandon Napoco, as your number five orange ad states, if you think your night is done, the Canucks certainly did after the first period. Yeah, up 3 nothing. Leafs came back, but the Canucks held on to win 6-4. Uh, I don't have a joke text uh, ready to go. But nevertheless, uh, Dan in Oakville, uh, on the trade improvement wish list, second-line center would be preferable to the other options. Uh, felt like Tavares kept winning draw after draw in those late-minute sequences in a critical playoff moment. Might want another good option if Miller or Bluger aren't going. Would Elias Lindholm fit the bill? So a couple of things there tonight. Uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs were 62% in the draw. John Tavares was 13-7, and seven, so he was 65%. Uh, top mark for the Canucks was... Um, PD took two draws, but he was 100%. But, yeah, it was struggling other than that. JT uh, took 25 draws tonight, 110, so he was 40%. Elias Lindholm, though, uh, for his career here recently in Calgary, uh, he's, he's up, up above uh, 50%, uh, 55 for the last two years. Yeah, uh, I mean, he's good. He's good in the faceoff circle. And as Elliot Friedman mentioned, two names linked to the Canucks, Jake Gensel and Elias Lindholm. One a winger, one a center, who is more uh, positionally versatile, can play wing, right-handed shot, can take some face-offs too, obviously as a center. So uh, it depends on what you're truly looking for. Could be a bit of an answer. And this text message here says, I love having Suter on the team, but he's got to be upgraded if you're rolling the lotto line. And Myers has not earned his salary over the years. He was overpaid and overplayed. But this year is the right place in the totem pole for him in the right system. But in terms of Suter, I, I agree. Others have texted in about yeah. Suter too, saying, hey, I like Suter. Get him on power play one, back to Kuzmenko or Hoaglander. He, he missed the net on a couple of chances. Yeah. And it really stood out. Yeah, I know. And But Dino says the second line, Suter deserved a couple of assists tonight for how they set up possession in the Z zone, zone eventually. Kuzmenko's best game of the season. I thought Kuzmenko had some good moments. I don't know if it was the best game, but he had a really good third period, and I thought he had some moments where he drew a penalty, of course, too. So I like Kuzmenko's game in the third, especially. I'm not sure if it was his best, but it was he was solid. But on Suter, I like Suter a lot. Mm-hmm. He's not a second-line center. He's, he's doing it now, and he's doing fine, but, I mean, if you're talking about, hey, you're rolling into the postseason, and if you're going with the lotto line, and that's a big if come postseason because, you know, they may split that up by that point depending on what they do at the deadline too, right? But, I mean, Bluger's been fantastic. He's not a second-line center either. He's like a third-line center, a really good one. Suter's also a really good one. I love that you have Suter on the team because of he can play up up and down your lineup, can play wing, can play center. And in a pinch, when you want to go a lot of line, if injuries happen, sure, he can, he can play in your top six. But I don't think he's a second-line center. And if that's what you're going with in the playoffs, then – you probably do want to upgrade on that. I don't mean Suter not playing. He should be on the team, of course. But, yeah, I mean, asking a guy who is a third-line guy to be a second-line center is asking a lot. If you're trying to go deep in the playoffs, you probably want to have a higher degree of player there. Certainly. Uh, we'll get into this on the other side. But here's my question. Because I know Lit, like Lindholm's the one that everyone talks about. And, and Calgary's kind of hovering around the playoff bar right now anyways. Um, so maybe they, they stick with it. Because the reason you want to go get a center is now you can keep the lotto line together. But is Lindholm enough of a matchup advantage on the second line that come the playoffs that matters for you? 
Like that's the thing I would I would wonder about. It's, it's nice to go out and acquire someone, but is he enough to say it, it's going to cause opposing coaches problems? We're like, oh, it's it's Lindholm, Kuzmenko, and Mikheyev. I I have to I have to split up my resources because I can't go all in against the lotto line. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the question is going to be, do they keep the lotto line together in the playoffs? Right. So again, so if 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 you want to break it up, or sorry, if you want to keep it together, that player has to be better than J T. Miller. Essentially, well, you need somebody to be a or somebody that can really carry a line, drive that line on their own. Lindholm has shown now that he's not playing with as high quality of wingers and somebody who's struggling in Huberto. It's not quite there. So I get your point. But if you're putting him together with Pedersen, let's say he plays the wing, you have positional. You, you, the thing I like about it is it could work. He has positional versatility. Mm-hmm. Things happen. Can move around your roster a little bit. But at bit. the cost, it's like I think there's interesting wingers at that cost. And you might just have to wait to see what the market presents itself here in the next seven weeks as well. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see what happens. The Canucks buyers at the deadline. Most points in the National Hockey League beat the Leafs 6-4. Satyar Shaw with Big Nazar. We'll be back on the other side. We'll get to Ian McIntyre. More player reaction and more reaction from you on our text inbox as the Canucks Central postgame show rolls on. Presented by the number 5 Orange of Vancouver legend. They've got sports too. More coming up next on the Home of your Canucks. Sportsnet 650. Talking all Canucks all the time. It's Canucks Talk with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drance. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is where you talk Canucks. You're listening to the Canucks Central Post Game Show on the official home of the Canucks. Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Besser fires it off the end boards, looking for a bounce in the slot. Martin Jones was wise to it, though, tipped it away. But Miller gets it back to Hughes. Canucks in the zone. Hughes to Miller, left circle, through to the net. They score! Elias Peterson! They find the backdoor tip for the second time in the third period. First it was Hughes to Miller. Now it's Miller to Peterson, and it's 6-4 Vancouver. And that was a beauty. They tried the Sedin play, and Jones has to come out and stop Miller from getting it. Miller puts it up to Hughes. And then Petey actually just gets lost behind and goes that back door. Miller, beautiful feed through, through a couple sticks. And Petey's just got a forehand chip it back door. Canucks, 6-4 winners over the Toronto Maple Leafs, and this is the Canucks Central Post Game Show, presented by the number 5 Orange on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Uh, we are going to get to your text message inbox, 650-650, and you can also grab a phone line, 604-280-0650. And uh, let's take a couple phone calls right now. We have some time. Let's start things off. Uh, in uh, Kelowna, where we have Josh on the line. Josh, thanks for calling in. Uh, what are your thoughts tonight? Yeah, hey guys, uh, long-time listener, first-time caller. Let's uh, go. To watch tonight. Yeah, all right. Uh, just want to touch on uh, Elias Pettersson's contract talks. There's like an angle that I think deserves more attention. We've heard everyone talk about Petey's willingness or not to stay in Vancouver or be on a winning team, but I don't think that's what this is about. I think this is a strategic play by his agent, J.P. Barry. The NHL market and salary cap dynamics are constantly changing and increasing, kind of like the cost of Dan Riccio's biscotti. And there's a significant <laughs> advantage in being patient. <laughs> uh, the yeah. longer Petey waits, the longer Petey waits, the more he's going to stand to benefit from this strategy, uh, potential leading to like a more lucrative deal. So I think mm. it's kind of crucial to understand that Barry is known for securing maximum value for his clients, mm. uh, using like Willie Nylander as the latest example. He's not his agent, but 
uh, like Willie Nylander broke the bank lately, and uh, talent like Petey only becomes more valuable with each passing game, especially if he's putting up numbers. So it has nothing to do with Petey wanting to stay in Vancouver or not, and it has everything to do with J.P. Barry using time to favor his client. Uh, great show. Your thoughts on that. Thanks, guys. Hey, uh, Josh, thanks for the phone call. Great stuff, man. And, and we'll, we always accept uh, Dan Riccio slander, so uh, <laughs> that's fantastic. Uh, that is fantastic. When he, it's done well. When it's done when well. It's, and honestly, like, Riccio has, has complained to me about the rising price of biscotti, so that's a really, really good, go. really good shout from Josh. On, on a rookie lap call there, right? So yeah, was, fantastic, man. That's some moxie there on a first-time call. The kid might make it. Yeah. He might be, he might be a caller. We need uh, some more ice time for Josh. <laughs> Josh, welcome to call in. You're, you're going to get a lot of run here on the postgame show. Uh, and the thought, you know what, I thought it, it was actually, a, a not actually, I'm not trying to be rude, but it was a good thought mm-hmm. on Elias Pettersson, and I think a really sober thought about it, one that doesn't have a lot of emotion. And and I think, I think he makes a terrific point here. And, and as far as J.P. Barry goes, they were in this exact situation recently with David Pasternak in the last year of his deal at the deadline and then signed a big contract too and they got the big deal from the from the Bruins who maybe didn't want to be paying him 11.25. You know how they like to keep the numbers lower and try to get, have guys really buy in uh, to win and they were at the end willing to go a bit higher. So he's right. Every goal and point Pedersen gets, the longer this goes, the more success these, this team has, the more favorable a position Pedersen's going to be in in terms of maximizing contract, but not necessarily just about total money, but also term and structure. It, you know, whatever type of contract Elias Pedersen wants until he gives the green light, like he's going to get it. Exactly. And yes. and to Josh's point, it's like every game that goes by, it just favors him. I made this point the other day when all the hoopla started happening. It's like rarely as like employees do we feel like we get the leverage, right? And Elias Pedersen's an employee. Let's just bottom line, he's gets paid by someone, and how often do you do you as an employee get like maximum leverage? And, and if you're in an arm wrestle, you don't just stop at 51%. You go all the way to the table. You finish the job. And every time he gets a chance to you know, lock in an, another submission hold, it's just like <laughs> he, he's going to do this. Yeah. And it's, guess what? It's his right to do it. He's allowed to do it. I, I understand the frustration, but I, I just look at it and say, like, yeah, if I was in a rare position, why not flex your muscles? How, how, how many opportunities are you going to be able to do it? It's just atypical for hockey players because oftentimes they, they take the big money when they can. But right now with how things are going. going to get big money? And, and Yannick mentioned this when we had him on Canuck Central yesterday. And he said, why should he sign right now? Yeah. If you're struggling or you get injured, sure, maybe you, let's get this deal done. But with how he's playing, how the team is playing, he's at no risk of you know, you know know career. I mean, career, like, sure, things can always yeah. happen, but knock on wood. But any sort of even... And season-ending injury is not going to depress his value significantly because he's 25 years old, hasn't turned 26 yet, right? So, for him, like, what what benefit outside of giving the team the assurance it wants now to sign? And as Jim Rutherford mentioned, his status does not in any way impact what they're going to do at the trade deadline. So it's not holding up your business either. So it's for me, it's still calm. It's all good. Let's get to the offseason. Let's see what happens. And the factor Josh mentioned about money and control, hey, maybe that is the main desire here anyways. And usually we say follow the money, follow the control, and that's kind of where, where things would lead to. Yeah, my panic meter still remains at like a 3, a 4 out of 10. So yes. like, even with the commentary this week, it's it's, it's hardly uh, moved the needle for me at all because we're not at the big leverage points. We're not at the trade deadline. We're not into July. Like That's when it's going to get really, really scary if nothing's been well, done. But like those are the big moments. And the other factor to keep in mind is Pedersen throughout all this said before the season he wants to mm-hmm. play the year out. 
he has maintained he wants to wait until the end of the year. Nothing's changed from his public mm-hmm. posture. Like before the season, he said, I want to wait till the after the year. So should we be surprised he's not talking during the year yet? And also, okay, three years ago, he wanted to commit term. Yes. Didn't get it. Yeah. Then what happened, like, also, they make the, the bubble playoffs, they have a little bit of success, and the team, like, organizationally, takes a step back. Like, yeah. by attitude of, okay, well, we're... And look, I understand pandemic-related things, but nevertheless, it's like my, my the ambition is, waned for yeah, a year. My, my my career is short-lived, and we decided as a team to take a step back. And this comment has always been made of like, "Hey, wants to win, wants to win, wants to win." If you're talking about like the the highest, the high of wins, why is 45 games enough of a sample to sway your opinion? Mm-hmm. If if you're that committed to 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 winning, you should inject it with talent too. And a few years ago, they paused on bringing certain players that were playing well and probably deserve to stay. And they've never really recovered until now. So until you get to a stage of like, hey, if you're this committed to winning, yes, we're having success, but winning requires a lot. And the ambition from the organization should be met as it was not a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And if you're Elias Patterson, like, I imagine that plays a, 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 a bit in your mind as well of if we're committed to winning, we also have to go out and acquire players. And and also, let's you're right about that in terms of maybe wanting to see that, and also how the season still ultimately goes. And this text here says, uh, Pedersen signing a contract at this point in the season could mess with his motivation. He's playing hungry. He's got something to prove and wants to see where this thing goes this year. I think it's a good thing he hasn't signed yet. I don't necessarily think it's because he will get more money. That's one text and one thought on Elias He'll Patterson. get more money. Oh, he will. Uh, we'll mm-hmm. get to more of the text messages here as time goes on. But let's go back to the phone boards. Let's take one more call. In Dallas, uh, Let's we have Nav in Dallas calling in. Da- Nav, what's going on? on man what are your thoughts hey what's up boys long time How's no talk yeah man i'm actually in houston this week oh very good what a first period i was like we were gonna just stranglehold the whole game got a little scary in the second but it always feels good to beat the Leafs, no matter how we beat them <laughs> yeah no doubt about that and you know what i agree with that last text like it's better off not giving Peter the big dollars right now it's probably gonna make him play harder and prove in the playoffs that he wants more money well, I mean, the way, the way it's going, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. He's going to give him more drive. I hope Susie's not all long because he's a game changer back there. And uh, one of the main things I call about, you know what? I'm going to give Francisco some credit here for his part. I was always upset about him every time when he was, uh, when Benny was his puppet. But uh, he's always willing to spend the money, whatever it takes to win. The best move he made was letting Rutherford do his thing and just sit back and learn. And uh, Hoggy, man, we can't include Hoggy in any trade. Doesn't matter what. We need him for the cheap next season. Hopefully, Pod Colvin can follow in his footsteps next season. And we also cannot trade any of our top prospects just for a possible run. Like Karamaki, Willander, DPD. We got to keep those guys. And then, last thing, I had a question for you guys. Actually, you know what? Last thing, oh, yeah. I know Rutherford Albin will do whatever moves is. Uh, smart. But the last thing I have to ask you guys was, are we even able to add another top six forward without moving a roster pair for, like, solid cap reasons? Hey, Nab, thanks for the phone call. Uh, no, I mean, depends. I mean, if you add an entry-level player as a top mm-hmm. six player, sure. But if you want to add anybody with salary, they would have to send somebody out unless there's an injury long-term. Um, so, 
yeah, if you're to answer the question, if they want to add to the roster in terms of a, a sizable player, something has to go out the other yeah. way. 100%. Yeah. All right. Otherwise, good call from Nav in Dallas. Uh, thanks for all your phone calls and your thoughts, but it's time to bring in the closer into the show, the man we call the triple threat. You watch him on TV, you read him on digital, you hear him on radio. He is Ian McIntyre. Do you mean you get callers from Dallas? Yeah. Did you say Dallas? Dallas. Houston tonight, but yeah. Yeah. Because there is a Dallas up by Kamloops. No, not that, not that Dallas. Not that Dallas. No, not that Dallas. This is the Texas Dallas. Yes, but actually in Houston today, but he does work and live out of Dallas. Oh, okay. Yes. Now from Dallas and Houston was, was, was the call today. I didn't know your brand was so widespread. Yeah. You, co- you cover the world, basically. Yeah. We're worldwide. I was told the other day we're huge in Newark as well. Newark, really? Yeah. Wow. I'll take it. Have you ever been to Newark? I have not. No. I'm not sure that's something to be proud of. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, we, we have listeners all over. Uh, yeah, oh yeah, yes, I mean, you do. We do. Uh, internationally as well. Australia. Australia yeah, yeah, Australia. Sweden. Uh, we got some of that as well. So, yeah, I mean, uh, the brand is is growing yeah, I, globally. I, I can say, I can tell you, I can report that as one of the last uh, r- journalists who still travel for most of the games, not all, I can tell you that there are more Canuck shirts uh, in other cities when Vancouver plays there now than there have been in years. As, it, as Francesco was mentioning yesterday, uh, did he mention it? He mentioned it. He's like, he hey, men- we- yeah, he yeah. M- he talked about L.A. and yeah. I I remember those L.A. games. I'm not sure that there were more Canuck fans than Kings fans, <laughs> but there were a lot of them. <laughs> there were lots like, of them, literally by the thousands. Mm-hmm. It would it would be a massive weekend. Uh, holiday for people in Vancouver uh, to go down and see a couple of games in Southern California, but people, you know, there's a lot of you know pent up enthusiasm. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that they haven't been able to to find an outlet for 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 so long, and uh, certainly is a is a fun team to watch. You know, the last game they grinded out a two one win against uh, Arizona, and nobody comes to see the Coyotes on the road. And today they. Win six four against the mighty Toronto Maple Leafs, where there's a couple of thousand people in the in the stands wearing Leafs jerseys, maybe more. Mm, wait, yeah, that was a, there was a, some real uh, back and forth, competing yeah. chance going on. Yeah. Go Canucks, go! Go Leafs, go! And the, I mean, it almost it almost felt like they had an away end. You know how in English soccer yes. stadiums you can hear it, and they're like really boisterous. That's kind of what it felt like yeah. tonight. They not only have the away end in English soccer, they have the away road. Yes, <laughs> they do. <laughs> they have the away train and yeah. the away buses. Yeah, they, they, they don't mix. Uh, I, I've often said to people that the difference, you know, the, the Montreal game and the Toronto game, they're by far the most atmospheric regular season games. Standings, you know, mm-hmm. not I'm not talking about playoff races or a game for first place, but just sort of year in, year out, it's tremendous uh, atmosphere, a lot of fun to come to these games. The difference between the two visiting fan bases and when I say visiting, I know most of the people live here. But the Toronto fans will cheer always for the Leafs. The Montreal fans will boo the Canucks. Yes. <laughs> so there is a difference. There is a difference. There's a there's a bit more aggression from from Habs fans at times. Yeah, I was I was talking to um, a couple of the Canuck players about this. Because you have to remember where most of this team is from. It's basically a lot of Americans, yes. <laughs> uh, a couple of Swedes, a Czech, um, a, a Canadian sprinkled in here or there, a few Canadians. 
but for, especially for the top players, this whole Toronto Vancouver uh, nexus it, it's foreign to them. Like mm-hmm. they, Connor Garland, and I might write about this. By the way, because of four o'clock start, you may have to find your own way home. Sat. Uh, it's all good. I, I know you're busy tonight. because I'm going to be writing. <laughs> You'll be for writing a while. here all night tonight. Yeah. yeah, you can get on the back of Big Spike <laughs> or something. Yeah, he'll he'll take me home <laughs> just fine tonight. But no, uh, it, it's for it's foreign to him. And I I was talking to Connor Garland about it because when I was in Toronto for the Toronto game, I was trying to talk to guys and they they just didn't understand it. Like I was trying to explain to Ian Cole, for instance, is he from Michigan? Uh, where, I believe he Cole is. From? I believe he is from Michigan. But anyway, I know I know he's from the states, and uh, he didn't understand why. Why do people call Toronto the center of the universe? Like it doesn't make sense. So I tried to explain it. So I circled back tonight, and I was talking to Connor Garland after, and he's he's from Situate, not Boston, mm-hmm. Situate, but it, let's just say Boston. Yes. And he said, "Yeah, you know, he grew up and he hated the Canadians because they were the hockey rivalry. He hated the Yankees." hated the Jets in football, but they were all close proximity. Mm -hmm. Like they were near each other and you played each other a lot. And he says, Vancouver and Toronto, they're so far apart. But bottom line is they love the atmosphere Mm -hmm. and, and it's, it's fun for them as well. If a little bit um, mystifying as to why there is this rivalry rivalry. I'm glad it's there though. I wish, I wish the teams could play more often. Uh, on Garland, I, like I thought, he was sensational tonight. Like, yeah, the goals are what they are. But like, he takes a lot of punishment in the corner for Hoglander's second goal. He broke up so many plays in the neutral zone. It's like this is the version that I imagine. Like when, when the first trade first happens, like you're feisty and you're tenacious and you're all those things. And it's just like he's growing into the season in a big way. Yeah, and and obviously getting rewarded now with offense fairly regularly after getting so little through what about the first 20 games or so um but you know when i when i think of him with the coyotes uh, i do remember that that he was always a guy that seemed to be around the puck Mm -hmm. and involved but he was he was more of an agitator as well like he was a guy who the goalie would be upset at because he'd be in the crease and defensemen would be whacking him i think he's a little bit different in in vancouver but i think what we're seeing is just a, a really confident player. And I know that he, he absolutely loves being on a good team. You guys are looking over my shoulder. No, just, just watching the football game. Oh. Uh, the football game, just the turnover there behind you. No, but I'm listening to you. I yeah. Just, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you're listening to me as you're looking at the football game? We can, we can, we can uh, multitask, yeah, but he, yes. He, lo- he loves the fact, because remember, he came came up through the Arizona Coyotes, yeah. played, played in a place where – Nobody and he didn't say this, but you know nobody really cares about about hockey, and certainly there's no traveling mm. uh, contingent. They have a hard enough time getting Arizona people to go to the games yeah. when they're in Arizona, and so he ab- absolutely loves um, playing on a team that's winning, and it's the biggest focus, sports focus in the fi- city mm. day after day. And it, there's constant scrutiny and pressure and discussion and debate. He he loves everything about it, uh, which is which is nice for him because you know the year started where. I mean, he said he never asked for a trade, but I I, I think you can surmise that he wasn't happy with what the situation was, and certainly the Canucks were looking for some salary mm-hmm. cap relief, and he was willing to accommodate if they found if they found a way to 
to move him and, and luckily that didn't happen and the team started well and he started well even though he wasn't getting points early on and he's absolutely fully invested now in in the city and this team and seeing where seeing where it's going to go. Well, it's it's I'm sure it's a lot like the Red Sox in Boston, the Patriots, and it's also college town. And you know how the college atmosphere is, and they do face a lot of scrutiny, a lot of fans as well. Always the buzz. So uh, I'm sure that's probably part of the reason he feels at home yeah, a little bit. But it, it's different. And I always remember Elaine Vigneault explaining the difference because he, of course, went from the Canucks to the New York mm-hmm. Rangers, and then he came back uh, with the Rangers in his first season. And he said, it, "It's there's a lot of attention, but in New York, there's all these, all these major pro sports mm-hmm. teams. So yeah, there's a lot, lot of attention on the Rangers, but there's also the Islanders and the Devils, and you have the Yankees and the Jets and the Giants and the Knicks." He said, "Vancouver, it's like being the New York Na- Yankees, but none of the other teams are around. Right. It's only the New York Yankees." Yeah. In, in New York, and so the entirety of ever, of the focus is on them. So that's what it's that's what it's like uh, here for these guys. And it's not it's not an easy atmosphere to play in for some for some people. Like you really mm-hmm. do, I think, have to embrace it. I, I don't know that it's something that you if you don't enjoy it, I think you can tolerate it for a while. Yeah, but I don't think it's it's where you want to to play. I think you have to sort of enjoy the the scrutiny and the pressure and even be able to uh, handle a lot of the BS that goes with it and -hmm. the fiction at times. So, (laughs) which again, isn't easy for everybody to do. I was even just thinking like uh, uh, during the game, like the the Leafs suck chance go out. I was like, it must be so tough at times to be a Leafs player knowing that because there's there's so many Ontario born players. It's like, you're, you're constantly getting other teams best all the time. Because it's like the Leafs come to town, and it's like yeah. I'm Canadian fired, teams I'm, at least. Yeah. yeah, well, Canadian teams for sure. But I imagine across the league, it's like, hey, fire to play the Leafs tonight because you know you're probably going to get some national TV attention, or at some point there, there's going to be such a focus on it. Yeah, I, I don't even know if it's necessarily teams that would be fired up to play the Leafs, but you know the Canucks would be, and mm-hmm. and top teams, uh, rivals, of course. I I think it it's probably has more to do with their fans and the atmosphere. Right. That if you're playing in let's say Seattle, mm-hmm. which has no rivalry with the Toronto Maple Leafs. But if there's a thousand Leaf fans in your rank cheering for the other team and sh- shouting, go Leafs, go, that's going to get you going. Yeah. Because that, you know, it's going to piss you off a bit that this is your home rank and who are these guys? Mm-hmm. So I think I think that's where the Leafs do get a lot of teams' uh, emotional investment, yeah. no matter what the game is, no matter who the opponent are, because they're – their traveling party is so vast and and uh, omnipresent. Is that the right word? Yeah. Um, and so it's something that they have to deal with. I wonder at times, honestly, like no one will ever say, because it, it, it is, I know that Leaf players love it when they come to Western Canada and they mm-hmm. have so much support. But I wonder if at times they kind of wish we could just be a quiet road team and just come in. It must and, be exhausting. Yeah. Yeah, to have you know constantly that atmosphere so that the other team is always coming to get you. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, and, and coming to, to take you down basically. Well, and the Canucks certainly did in that in the third period. And as far as overall how the game went, like, did you learn anything new about this Canucks team, or where are we at right now in terms of how we evaluate this this hockey club? Well, it, w- it was. I mean, there were lots of positive things. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
I wouldn't say I have any new takeaways. I wish I did. It would make my story more interesting. <laughs> but I, I think it was another great example of, of well, a couple of things. First of all, this is not, certainly not a one-dimensional team. Mm-hmm. And they have multiple ways to win, multiple ways to play. Not systems-wise, because they're trying to play the same way. But, you know, high event, low event. You know, how many times would a team blow a three-goal lead and yeah. be solid enough to come back and, and steady themselves? And uh, Twice. Yes. And, and a perfect, yeah. the perfect little snapshot is that is the power play that gives up the shorthanded goal. It was a terrible goal to give up in that situation especially and then comes right back and and scores and uh it was ian cole was saying you know a lot of teams that that would have sewered your power play like Mm -hmm. they wouldn't be able to go back out it it would have you know the shorthanded goal would ruin them and on this team it, it doesn't and cole had an interesting observation as well because i i was talking to him about demco and honestly, I thought when it was when it got to three three, partly because two of the goals looked awful, mm-hmm. but it turns out one of them was deflected by Susie, but it was still from a long way out. But yeah. The first goal was awful, but just how the Canucks were flatlining at that moment—they had nothing going for them. They just they were being outskated, outplayed, outhit, outchanced. It seemed to be a perfect time for if Talkett had wanted to to change his goalie. And be able to say, well, it's just to disrupt mm-hmm. the momentum and try to change things. Um, and then Demko, of course, stays in the game because he doesn't get pulled because I'm not coaching. Yeah. <laughs> Thank goodness. And, you know, lets in a fourth uh, on the on the shorthanded breakaway, but then doesn't get beaten again. Yeah. And by the end of the night has a, a gazillion saves and makes a whole pile in the final three or four minutes w- where, yeah, it's – it's late, but if the game gets to one goal yeah. against that team, Marner, Nylander, Matthews, Tavares, um, look out. And so he, no matter what he does, Demko, uh, he seems to be there when they need him. Mm-hmm. You know, if he if he gives up four, he's not going to allow the fifth, and that's going to matter. If he yeah. gives up none, he'll allow you to win one right. one nothing like they did in, in Buffalo. And Cole said that's absolutely true, uh, what I was saying about Demko, but he said that's kind of like our team mm. as well, that they've had so much growth this year. He says Demko is the best at it, but he thinks, Cole does, that the team has shown a lot of growth this season in that regard, in being able to to get beyond you know, the bad goal, the bad period. Mm-hmm. Even we've seen this team have a bad game but they never seem to have two bad games or if they do they don't lose them both um so that i I found that interesting a lot of a lot of resilience no there certainly was and uh before we let you go did we didn't did not get get a update on carson susie but did not play in the third period um obviously he's been really good since coming back Uh, this team hasn't really faced any injuries so that's something that to kind of keep an eye on but how did you think the defense played tonight because i thought zadorov had uh Maybe his his most adventurous game, lugging the puck up, and in a good way. I mean, it seemed like he kind of took control of the game more. But what did you think of the blue line and, and how they handled Susie's absence in the third? I I mean, obviously there was a a ton of shots and there was score effect in that. Uh, so that in itself isn't you know a huge concern. 
Uh, I liked how combative this defense was tonight mm -hmm. and around their net. You know, putting Leafs on the ice or at least getting them away uh, from from the goalie. And I know that Zadorov had an interference penalty early on because mm -hmm. he was blocking out and the guy went down. But we've, we've talked about how physically big this defense is now uh, after you get past Quinn Hughes. And tonight I thought they played like a big physical defense. Uh, I don't think... I don't think Toronto would come away from a game like this and think, well, that's a team we would love to play in a seven-game series. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, once there's a little more leeway in the playoffs, imagine how effective mm -hmm. Zadorov might be. And Ian Cole is so big and, and strong. And then you got, you know, Myers, who's, you know, 6'8", and, and Susie, hopefully, being healthy, who's 6'5". Mm -hmm. I, I thought they played like a big, robust defense tonight. Yeah, I certainly thought so as well. And uh, the Canucks come away with a 6-4 victory against the Leafs. And it just seems like this team keeps on finding ways to win hockey games. And we look forward to chatting with you again on Monday uh, when the Canucks play yet again. I'll look forward to that and as I'm also, well. I'm looking forward to reading your latest on Sportsnet.ca, which will be, be up a bit later today. It will be. I And I won't look as relaxed on Monday as I do now because I've still got a couple hours before deadline. <laughs> you got some time. I, I have could. time to think. You do. How yeah. about that? And maybe you come up with a new take. Maybe, maybe by uh, the time you go to press, there's something new that Ian McIntyre has uncovered yeah. about this hockey team. Well, I've the palette is loaded with paint from yeah. post-game <laughs> oh, quotes wow. and reactions. So great. we'll see. We'll see what kind of. Uh, I'm going to think velvet painting. What was it? Black velvet? What was really tacky? I don't know. No. Never mind. Yeah. People don't have paintings anymore. Do you know that? No. Everybody used to have paintings in their house. No more paintings. No more paintings. No canvas anymore? No yeah. canvas. I'm no. sorry, all you artists yeah. out there. It's, it's not my fault. Everybody's going minimalistic nowadays. None of that stuff's going on in the walls. All right, uh, great stuff. Ian McIntyre, fantastic as always. He's Bick. She's Lena. And thanks to Eddie back at the station. I'm Satyar Shaw. And thank you all for listening and participating. We look forward to chatting with you again very soon. This has been the Canucks on the Post Game Show, presented by the number 5 Orange on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650.